just a little while. You heard that seven times. I don't know if you were counting, but if you missed it the first time, it was there the second time, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, a little while. Our gospel reading is full of little bits this morning. The Greek word is mikros, micro, micro. I want you to think this morning about the value of having things on a micro scale. Now, usually, usually we like things blown up, right? That's why when you come to church, um, the most valuable thing in the building is the large print bulletin, right? That's worth its weight in gold because we like things enlarged, at least if they're small. But if something is big, if something is like really, really big, and in fact, the bigger a thing is, it's really helpful to have it put on a small scale. Think of maps, This is what maps do, right? You can take all of western Kentucky, and if you don't know, for instance, where Monkey's Eyebrow is, um, you can see it compressed onto a map. A map shrinks something that is too big down to scale. It puts the big world into a little scale. And when you see things in miniature, it sometimes helps you to appreciate what would otherwise be way too big for you. This is why people like doing models, right? I don't know if any of you are model builders. If you like making airplanes or trains or those kinds of things, those big things are fun to put into little model. It puts things that are too big for us into small scale. And that's what we have this morning in the gospel reading. Jesus is talking to his disciples about just a little while, and I want to go off of that this morning. I want you to think about what he's talking about as a micro, a microcosm of something much bigger. Jesus was talking with his disciples the night, this is from John 16, the night that he would be betrayed. And he tells, that, tells them that in just a little while, he is going to be taken away from them. He's going to the Father. And you know, of course, what he's talking about. But to them, it was all very confusing. Jesus is talking about his Passover, his going to the Father by way of the cross. He's talking about being taken from their sight because, well, you know the answer. He's going to be buried In just a little while, I will be taken from you, and for just a little while, I will be hidden from you. But then again, in just a little while longer, three days, I will see you again. And that little picture, those three days that the disciples experienced, are a little picture for us this morning of what the Christian life is like. Now, God's word often does this. It puts something that is huge, like our redemption, like God's salvation, it puts it into a small picture so that we can appreciate it. Because, to be honest, God's deeds, his mighty acts are far bigger than western Kentucky. They're far bigger than our globe. And so we need a small-scale rendition so that we can see where we fit in. Let me give you one example of this kind of small-scale thing. Remember the prophet Daniel? Most people remember the story of Daniel, or at least they remember Daniel and the lion's den, right? But Daniel's whole life was kind of a small scale, a microcosm of what God was doing for his people on a big scale. So you remember how Daniel was taken away from Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. Or if you don't remember, I'm telling you this morning. Daniel was a young man, and he was a promising youth. And when King Nebuchadnezzar came in, he could have just wiped out all of Jerusalem, but he had a policy. The Babylonians liked to take away those who were the most promising. And so if you were a 14-year-old boy in Jerusalem who showed any sign of being a bright kid, 
Nebuchadnezzar would say, I'm going to take you for myself. And so Daniel was whisked away. He was taken from his family. He was taken from his home. He was taken and placed far away in the strange land of Babylon. And if you remember the story of Daniel's life, you might remember how when he got there, they tried to make him, for all intents and purposes, a Babylonian. So what did King Nebuchadnezzar do? He taught him the Babylonian ways because the idea was if I can get the kids, if I can corrupt the youth to be like my people, then I'll have a bunch more Babylonians. So he would train these young men. He tried to train Daniel to think like a Babylonian. And if you remember the story, this is every mother's favorite story in the Bible, he tried to feed Daniel like a Babylonian. Here, Daniel, eat this meat that we sacrifice to our gods. This is the best food in the kingdom. This is what all of the promising young men eat. And Daniel said, no way. I'm only going to eat vegetables. This is why it's every mom's favorite story. This is why you should eat your vegetables, kids, right? Because Daniel ate just vegetables. But here's the point. It's not just a story about why you should eat your broccoli or why you have to choke down your asparagus. What God was doing in the life of Daniel was a small glimpse at what he was doing for the whole nation of Israel. And so Daniel ate only vegetables, as the story goes. And at the end of 10 days, the king looked at Daniel and said, he's healthier than all the other men. Feed everybody else like him. And so instead of becoming a Babylonian, Daniel was a witness to the power of the Lord. And what happened there with the vegetables is kind of the same thing that happened in the much more well-known story of Daniel's life, the lion's den. This is what happened after King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom fell. There was a new king. His name was Darius. He was the king of the Medes. And Darius, like all kings, liked to make himself the center of attention. So his advisors came to him one day and they said to him, Darius, you're so powerful. Darius, you're so wonderful. Darius, you're so smart. You're so wise. You should pass a law, Darius, that no one can look to the gods for anything. They should have to get it from you. No one should pray to the gods for anything. They should only seek good things from you, king. Now that is a temptation for every ruler in our world. Right? That is a temptation for everyone who considers him or herself wise and powerful. The kings of the earth love, they love to arrogate themselves and to draw everyone to look to them to provide for every good thing. You have only to look around in our own times and see the expansion of governmental powers. You can look through history, though. It's not unique to our time. Kings love to do this. And so Darius said, good idea, advisors. Everyone should pray to me. Everyone should seek some good thing from me. And if anyone doesn't, if anyone is caught praying to God, well, then throw him into the lion's den. And that's what happened to Daniel, isn't it? Daniel heard the edict, he heard the decree, and he said, I only pray to the true God. I'm not going to look for every good thing in my life to come from the government. I'm going to pray to the Lord God Almighty. And so those advisors, and it was a trap from the beginning, by the way. If you don't know the story, you can go home today and read Daniel chapter 6. It was always a trap to get Daniel. But, but what the Lord did for Daniel on a small scale is what he was doing for his people on a big scale. 
And so he rescued Daniel out of the lion's den. You know the story, don't you? How he sent the angel of the Lord to close up the mouths of the lions. And the next day when the king came out to the den, he pulled out the rock and he shouted in, Daniel, are you still alive? And Daniel said, the Lord has preserved me. What God does for Daniel is just a small glimpse of what he was doing for his people as a whole. And that's the way I want you to think this morning about those three sad days that the, that the disciples experienced, what Jesus calls just a little while. What the disciples experienced from Good Friday to Easter Sunday is a microcosm of the world that we live in, isn't it? What they had for those three days, being separated from Jesus, being unable to see him, is just like it maps over perfectly onto the experience of the church now between Christ's ascension and his second coming. Listen again to how Jesus described what they were about to experience. He said, in just a little while, you will see me no longer. But again, in just a little while, you will see me again. And for those three short days, Jesus said that they would experience some really painful kind of awful things. He said that you will not see me to be separated from sight, to not be able to see the Lord Jesus. He said, you will be weeping. And you can imagine the kinds of conversations that would have gone on between, say, Andrew and Philip. You can imagine what Peter and James and John were talking about for those three days. I'm actually kind of surprised that books haven't been written about it. You would think that somebody would sit down and write at least a, a fan fiction kind of writing for what happened in those three sad days. But Jesus said, that is what your experience will be. It will be a time of sorrow. It will be a time of sadness. But then, then that time of sadness will turn to joy. And what they experienced on that small scale, again, it's like God was shrinking down all of the church's life. Everything from the time of Christ's ascension to the time of his second coming was shrunk down into those three days. So that as you live now, you wouldn't be confused. You have the map, so to speak. You have the big picture put down into a manageable size. For three days, the disciples could not see their Lord. For three days, it, looks, it looked like they had lost. For three days, all they saw were the Jews rejoicing because finally they had figured out a way to silence Jesus. But then what happened? Then the Lord Jesus rose. And on the third day, he came to weeping, sorrowful, frightful, despairing disciples, and he came and he saw them. And he gave them a joy that no one, that nothing in all creation could take from them. He gave them the joy of knowing that Jesus lives, that Jesus wins, and that he brings through death and hell and every sad thing that, that surrounds us in this world, he brings us through these things. And what they had in micro for three days is what you live in macro, isn't it? Have any of you seen the risen Lord Jesus? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> we don't see Jesus. Have any of you experienced sufferings and sorrows? 
Yeah, we could all raise our hand on that one. We experience them every day of our lives. We experience what it is to live in a fallen, sinful world. And sometimes we are our own worst enemies, aren't we? Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. Sometimes we make things far worse. Sometimes, all the time, right? We make things worse than they have to be. We experience the same kinds of things that those disciples had for three short days. But we also know of a joy. We also know of a joy that nothing in all creation can take from us. We know that the Lord Jesus is risen. And even though we can't see it now, even though we haven't experienced it fully, just like them, we have it by faith. See, here's what those disciples had to live by for those three days. If you look back through the Gospels, it's actually kind of amazing that they didn't get it. Maybe you've had this experience, you're reading through the Gospels, you come to our Bible studies and you always wonder, how did they not understand? Jesus told them time after time after time after time, this is what's going to happen, guys. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed and he's going to be handed over and he's going to be crucified and on the third day he's going to rise. For just a little while you will not see me, but then you will see me. They weren't left in the dark. And neither are you. Though we do not have the visible presence of our Lord Jesus, has he not given you so many promises? Has he not left you with his word? Is he not invisibly present with his church to the end of the age through his sacraments, holy baptism and holy communion? Does he not continue to come into our presence to speak his word of grace, to give his commands of action? We have it just the same as they do, don't we? Doesn't it map over perfectly what they experienced for three short days we experience for a lifetime? And the way that they were supposed to live for those three days by faith and not by sight is the same way that you, that you must also learn to live. Oh, it would be great to see the Lord Jesus, wouldn't it? It would be great if he came back and snapped his fingers and all of the things that haunt us, all of the things that trouble us would just melt away would be wonderful, and one day it will happen. But until that day, we live by faith, not by sight. And living by faith, living by faith is actually quite a powerful thing. See, that little time of the disciples teaches you how you are to live in this present time. Living by faith, not by sight, doesn't just mean, well, we got to hold on for dear life and just kind of sit on our bottoms and don't ever do anything or say anything. Living by faith is actually quite an active and powerful thing. Faith pushes you out into the world, just like it pushed those apostles out to preach the good news. Jesus uses this illustration this morning. He talks about a pregnant woman. How perfect is that for Mother's Day? This is perfect. Jesus talks about a woman when she is in her time of labor. She doesn't just sit back and take it easy. I've seen it five times. It's quite a troublesome thing for a woman, isn't it? But she has to embrace that moment. She has to embrace that suffering and push through it. And as she does, when she does, what happens to that mother? What happens to every mother is this wonderful thing that the sufferings, The sufferings that she goes through in labor are forgotten. Now, my wife would be the first one to say, well, I didn't forget it, David. And that's not what Jesus means either, but they are no longer called to mind. 
When a new baby has been born into the world, the mom doesn't sit there in labor and hold the baby and just lament about how hard it was to bring that little child into the world. Oh, she may joke about it. She may not joke about it. She might talk about it a little bit. But, but the joy of the birth of that child makes the pain of the sorrows of labor flee away. Jesus says this is what the church is like in this present time. We are collectively, as a whole, like a pregnant woman, which might be a strange thing to think about, especially for you men this morning, but it's fitting on Mother's Day. We are like a pregnant woman who are passing through this world, and we suffer all kinds of things around us. We suffer our own sins and our own failures, but through it all, as we live by faith, we are pressing on, and never forget this, We are pressing on for a greater joy. It'll be like a mom in the delivery room afterwards holding the little baby. It'll be like a new mother holding her son or her daughter in her arms. And every mother says the same thing. He's perfect. She's perfect. Now, she might not be. He might not be. We all know that everybody else's kids aren't perfect because ours are the perfect ones, right? But for that moment and for that mother, the sorrows that she experienced, the travails of childbirth, flee away because of the joy of that new life. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples and what he has in store for you is this, a perfect joy. A perfect joy that will actually make the joy of a new mother seem like just a tiny little picture seem like just a distant glimmer. Because when Jesus comes again, then everything that troubles you, then every sorrow that you have experienced in this life, whether it's something that you have inflicted on yourself or if it is something that someone else has put on you, all of those things will be swallowed up in joy. Isn't this the way Scripture speaks? I don't consider the present sufferings of this age even worth comparing to the joys that are laid up for those who love God. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. And that's what Jesus says. So learn this morning to see in those three days a little picture of the church's whole life. Learn, like those disciples, to live by faith, to hold fast to the promises of Jesus, who, though he is not seen, is yet present with you to the end of the age. And learn to hope like a pregnant mother. Learn to embrace the present times, not sitting back and saying, well, I guess we better not ever say anything to anybody else and just hope that maybe someday, perhaps Jesus will come. No, go out from this place full of hope, full of courage, for the joy that is yours cannot be taken away. And when that last day comes, when Jesus comes, then then what we have now by faith, we will have by sight. Then the little picture that now we can only see in miniature and begin to experience in miniature will become our overwhelming, all-surpassing, all-encompassing, not just a little-time joy, but will become our eternal joy. To Christ be the glory now and forever. Amen.